All right, hey everyone, welcome back to Prep for Impact, a Green Beret Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Matt Parrish, and today we got a phenomenal guest, Chris Robinette. You know, one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast was to talk to people who had experience in different lanes, whether that be special operations, business, sports, nonprofit, et cetera. And Chris gives us an awesome opportunity to talk to somebody who's been really highly accomplished in two of those fields. Not only was Chris a Green Beret and served on active duty and then currently serves in the reserves, but he's also an accomplished executive and has a lot of experience in the startup and entrepreneurial space. He's also got one of the most impressive educational resumes of anybody I've ever met. Yeah, he's got an MPA or Master's of Public Administration from Harvard. He's got an MBA from USC. He's also got a Master's of Technology Commercialization from Texas. And he's worked at Goldman. He's currently working at a big four firm. He's got a lot to talk about, especially when we go back and forth in between a Green Beret career and a business career and what makes each of them successful. So I'm really excited and I'm confident that you're going to enjoy this episode of Prep for Impact, a Green Beret Foundation podcast. All right, hey everyone, welcome back to Prep for Impact. As you heard in the intro, we've got another amazing guest, Chris Robinette. Chris, thanks for making the trip, man. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Matt, for having us. Well, I'm excited. Uh, you know, we joked around a little bit before we hit record. Uh, you've had a, a pretty interesting career. You, you've got a chance to be uh, to serve active duty, uh, to become a Green Beret, to do some time in the reserves, but you've also had extensive business and educational background, right? Uh, you know. I like to kind of go back a lot of times, like formative, especially when I talk to another service member, especially Green Beret, like what was your call for service? What made you think like, okay, first I want to join the Army, uh, period. And then a little bit later than that, after you'd done some armor officer time, what made you want to become a Green Beret? Uh, Well, I I grew up in a military family, so I was always in and around the culture. So my both sets of my grandparents had been World War II era uh, mostly in the Marines, but World War II era veterans. Um, and I grew up hearing the stories of like their time in Okinawa or my grandfather was in Europe. So yeah. I was always, you know, kind of familiar with that stuff. Um, my dad was also a Marine officer very briefly, um, at the very tail end of Vietnam. So actually as, as Vietnam closed down, you know, he was, you know, essentially rift when they were downsizing everything and sent home. And so went back into a civilian career pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and kind of the uh, the longstanding thing is my dad's oldest brother interviewed for the job of sergeant major of the Marine Corps did not get it but like I was always in around those things I was always interested um, the irony in kind of where I am today is that didn't really influence my decision about joining the military in fact I went to college for the first years and had no sort of like interest in doing it other than at the end I realized hey you know I can get college money they can pay for this and I was watching my peers that were going into be analysts at Citibank in Chicago. And I was like, you know, it'd be way more cool if I just go be like a helicopter pilot or <laughs> something fun and live in Italy and then go get an MBA or, you know, go into business. Now, the irony of all this is all those decisions were made prior to September 11th. So mm-hmm. at the time, there was like nothing that I thought really interesting going on. It was only when I was in college that September 11th happened. I was like, oh, shit, like that got real. Like yeah. literally a month after I signed my ROTC contract. Yeah. And then I graduated in 03, right as, you know, everyone was going over the berm. I was like, that definitely got very real. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's two shooting wars going suddenly, on. Suddenly yeah. I was like, you now know what you're doing. And it's not being a helicopter pilot in Hawaii 
waiting to just get out, right? So it just became a very different environment in terms of the choices that were made involved. But frankly, like, you know, I made the decision to do it because, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, have some leadership experience and do something mm-hmm. different in kind of my young early 20s. And the Army was paying for college. And I thought, like, hey, I'll marry up two things and, and yeah. go from there. No, I love it. Uh, I think a lot of times uh, we like look back and we aggrandize our reasoning yeah. afterwards. It's like, I was such a patriotic, yeah. you know, and a lot of times it's more often as a young man or woman, you're like, man, I'd like to get out of this town and maybe yeah. see something else a little bit. And that seems like a cool opportunity. Yeah, to be it able would be to a go. dead lie if I yeah. told you, like, yeah. I was all about America. And like, yeah. I was like, I'm all about college money and I'm all about living in Hawaii. Yeah. Like, Cue that the, was, to- yeah. the Toby Keith song. And, you know, it's like, America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I, I appreciate it because a lot of times we, uh, you know, afterwards we can kind of go back and uh, elevate our motives. You know, as you as you went in, and as you said, you're now you're going in during Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah. both happening, global war on terrorism, full swing. You go in and you're uh, you're an armor officer in the conventional military. Yeah. At what point do you start looking across the fence and saying like, hey, those guys over there, that seems like a cool mission. You know, at this point, I'm not the helicopter pilot yeah. that's going to get out and go do something else. So, like, let me go see if yeah. I can do that. Uh, well, the kind of the, the interesting trajectory of it, I guess, is, you know, I was supposed to go be an armor officer at Fort Irwin, which was like the absolute nothing of nothing at the time when everybody was doing something. Um, and as I was finishing up at Knox, we got called into a separate room and they just started handing out pieces of paper. Hmm. All of us that were going to TDA units were now going combat facing. So I ended up going to 101st, literally at the tail end of, of OAF-1. Um, and I, while we were there, you know, I was starting to see this became more evident on my second deployment, but I started to see like special forces guys going out and doing operations and like having success. Like they were detaining people, they were finding stuff. And I was like, we just go on patrols and get blown up. Mm. Like we're not doing like cool things, but having a lot of success. And I was frankly pretty disenfranchised with that. Um, and so I watched this other half of the community. And I was like, why aren't we doing more of that? And if I'm going to be here, I want to be doing that. The other half of that is like, I generally have a, you know, an aversion to bureaucracies. I'm not real big on like, you know, PT belts and like showing up for formation at 5 a.m. and like operating it to the lowest common denominator, which is not true of the army. I exaggerate what that is, but sure. the special forces community, in fact, I, my battalion commander at the last thing is like, look, if you spend one more day in the regular army, we're either going to kill you or you're going to kill us. Like you just don't belong here, but there is a place that you do belong. And he actually kind of shepherded that process. Um, the guy was, I was pretty outspoken and pretty vocal about my discontent <laughs> about what yeah. we were doing in Iraq um, and the lack of success we were having compared to the soft guys who we'd see again, support a rural every night. And yeah. when I was there, it was fifth group and they were just crushing it. And I was like, why isn't everybody doing that? Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't connect the dots of like, Hey, there was a lot of training and a lot of like, you know, things that went into them being successful in that process. But that essentially sort of what drove my my drive towards that. And frankly, like my decision was I'll put in a packet for SFS, either get picked up or I was getting out of the army. And I it was a coin toss of what was gonna happen and I could have lived with it either way at that time. Hey everyone, I'm proud to partner with the Green Beret Foundation for Prep for Impact because I've seen firsthand the work they do with Green Berets, their families, caregivers, and survivors. Across all of their pillars of support, they support Green Berets across casualty assistance, health and wellness, Gold Star and surviving family members, and Next Ridgeline transition support. I encourage you to visit GreenBeretFoundation.org for more information. Most tool companies try to be everything to everyone. 
but the result is just okay. That is why Spec Ops Tools focuses on two main goals, designing and building the best hand tools available and supporting veterans in every capacity they can. You can have the most elite hand tools while doing good for veterans nationwide with Spec Ops Tools. Check them out today at specopstools.com. Yeah, no, I, I, one of the reasons I ask that question a lot is uh, a lot of us and a lot of people, especially that did, uh, you know, uh, you know, a few years in the conventional military, there's often some sort of interface. It's usually not just like, Hey, I've heard of this over here. Usually there is some real world experience. And, you know, I, I remember in some of my rotations talking to some conventional military cats, conventional army dudes in the chow hall, and them asking me some of those exact same questions. Like when you said that, I just remember sitting there and some of those kids being like, why don't we also go out and do what you, it's like, bro, you're, I'm an E6, like you're asking the wrong guy, right? I, I, I agree, but again, there's an opportunity. You know, it's funny, uh, you talk about your last commander, it's like, at least that was, uh, you know, he did help shepherd that process and wasn't like, okay, man, this guy is a square peg in a round hole. Let's just get rid of him because ultimately you do go on and you become successful in in your Green Beret and probably still outspoken and probably still uh, all those things. I've gotten older and wiser and looked back at it and realized everybody has a real important role to play in the process. For me, just what I was seeing and what I was doing at that time, SF was making a much more bigger impact on the things that we were asked to do on a daily basis. And I was like, we should be doing more. And I realized that's not what, you know, you know, first of three, two sevens designed to do in the 101st yeah. airborne. It is in fact, is what, you know, ODA five, five, five is designed to do at fifth group, right. Yeah. As an example. So I was like, okay, you start to realize organizations do different things and they're built and structured that way and trained and resourced appropriately. And so looking back now, it's like, that's a pretty immature view of it, but that's what drove the process. That's who we are. You know, that's, that's, you know, again, we can't go back and pretend that we had like some other noble. It's like, no, Hey, that was where I was at, at at that point in my life. You know, as you, as you go through the Q course, you become qualified, you end up going into group. Um, did you, was it what you thought it was going to be? Um, I was fighting for my life to get through the Q course. I think a lot of people like know that's what they want to do. They're really driven. I was not like, half in half out but i was never like this is my purpose for being like i have to be a green beret i was like this isn't this is a really good opportunity it's cool um and you'll do lots of really great things on the back end and every day i was in like sut or seer and i was like this sucks i want to quit and like the only thing that like kept me driving was like i don't want to go back home and tell my dad i quit especially if it's like it was raining outside and i couldn't do it anymore and i just quit like, I just knew that was going to be a tough conversation that I was going to like, it's more than a tough pill to swallow. So I, you know, I go through the Q course. I end up having to repeat Robin Sage. Um, so yeah. I was a recycle in that process. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that's like, you really got to be invested in the Q course. Um, it's Especially just a, Robin it's, Sage, because you have to drink all of the Kool-Aid yeah. to it's like slog, get right? into it. Yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, to the Q course, I learned a lot more about the process. Um, and again, like, you know, where I ended up, from where I, you know, I thought going into the Q course or I would have been assigned, I was supposed to do, um, go to the third group. And I saw, I was like, hey, I'm going to be ready, get ready to go to Afghanistan. While in the Q course, the battalions, these fourth battalions and all the groups were getting stood up. And so fourth battalion, 10th group gets stood up. So we literally like half my class gets rerouted to Fort yeah. Carson. I'm from Colorado. I was like, well, at least it'll be close to home. Yeah. Um, and so like what you think you're doing in that process, like I got to pay attention because I'm going to Afghanistan like 10 minutes after this is done. 
to a brand new battalion that like we literally were like unpacking weapons out of like packing grease and putting them into the arms room and the first six months of my team time was like literally like building shelves for our stuff right out of the old isofac facility so yeah. it the q course having the idea that afghanistan was going to be the next stop made me you know very focused on that which is a long slog um not what happened but um but yeah the q course was probably harder than it is for most people for me <laughs> Dude, I love your candor, though, yeah. because like in every one of your answers, yeah. like there are plenty of people who have the same experience who, if I ask that question to are like, no, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I had an injury or whatever. It's like no, it sucked. Pe people yeah. want to. Of course, sucked, yeah, and I they're... don't want to do it again. I'm very clear about that. <laughs> we uh, is it behind? No, no, no. We're not going to make yeah. you do it again. Yeah. OK. Uh, yeah. I mean, like what I love is that like we have a there is no monolithic Green Beret. Right. There is no like that to me is one of the strengths of the regiment is the melting pot of people yeah. and personalities and, and backgrounds and all that stuff. Like we talk diversity and whatever, and it becomes this yeah. like woke craziness. But one of the greatest things about SF is you have like all of these different really like interesting and and, um, you know, again, diverse people and backgrounds. But everybody's there for a reason. Everybody's there for their for their guy and gal left and right of them, and it uh, it becomes a a iron sharpen iron. Uh, you know, becomes kind of a yeah. uh, you know cliche, but it's it's really true. And we have guys who are like, "Hey, man, I'm here, and I really wanted to do this, and it's my underlying passion for the rest of my life. This is the only thing I've ever wanted to do." And then we got guys that are like, "Man, you know what? This seemed like a good idea, and I'm going to be here for a couple yeah. of years, and I may be gone, whatever else." And uh, both of those can coexist. Yeah, and I'm sure right? the, yeah. the second half of that, right, yeah. in that statement. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm still doing it. Yeah, yeah I was um, going to say, you didn't, like, you didn't do two but I, years. Yeah, yeah, but I've taken the scenic route yeah. in that process, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What, uh, you know, when you look back uh, at your early team time, right? You said you, you end up yeah. you, you end up going to a 4th Battalion, you're unpacking yeah. all these things. At some point, everything gets unpacked, and you're actually able to become, yeah. you know, a team who do you remember is like, if you had to go back and say, that's the best Green Beret I ever worked with tactically, uh, whether he's on your team, not on yeah. your team, whatever. And then what specifically about that person does that, do you think of when that comes up in your yeah. mind? Uh, well, I walked into a battalion, had a really good like battalion command team in mm -hmm. John Taff and Lou Palka, particularly yeah. Lou Palka, who like to this day is like the, like if you were to like chisel a Green Beret out of stone, but also is like incredibly bright and articulate, um, and gets the absolute most out of everybody, that would be Lou Palka. Um, and what I really appreciate about what they were doing with the battalion is 4th Battalion adjusted up literally like when I got there, like we turned our team room, or our team room was built out of the old gym portion of it. So literally one wall of our team room is all mirrors that you used to do, you know, bench presses in front of. And we're building shelves and desks, you know, so we can just functionally operate um, for the first few months. But our team was very divided between a guys that had a lot of experience so my mm -hmm. team sergeant um you know um christian mars which is interesting because his twin brother was also in the battalion and they had done everything you could possibly do as a green beret but they'd also been like e7s in the regular army before so like christian had done kosovo he'd done bosnia he did an oif1 and then there was the other half of us that were like you know straight x-rays or new they did yeah. a good job of blending those teams and so i got a lot of mileage out of just like listening to Lou Palka, and I was probably a, one of the rare exceptions of a captain who's like, I probably don't know what I'm doing all the time. Go talk to Lou, because he does. And I would literally knock on his door, be like, hey, do you have 20 minutes to like educate me on something or like 
hey, I'm not sure what I should be doing. I don't want to mess it up for the team. And then I got a lot of mileage out of out of uh, Christian as well. Just he had so much experience. He'd been an instructor at SWIC. He'd done, like I said, if you can do it as a Green Bray, he'd yeah. done it in every context. And so we bet we had a really powerful team right out of the gate in terms of just like training, focus, understanding where we stood in the big picture of things, understanding kind of like what the process was of building team, building individuals. Um, but a lot of that was like me asking a lot of questions and me doing a lot of listening as opposed to me driving that process. That's a uh, that's a great highlight uh, because so so many people don't do it, right? Yeah. Like it, it's very tough, especially as a team leader, as an officer to come in and uh, a lot of guys come in the opposite way, yeah. right? They're like, okay, I get it that this guy's got 12 years uh, and he's done everything possible. Yeah but I'm the commander, so I've got to come in and try to- And I to, watched a lot of yeah. us fail in real time, and I was like, don't be that guy. <laughs> like, Lou Paulkin knows what he's talking about. Listen to him. Listen to Christian Myers. Like, you'll be okay. Yeah. I, I was very lucky as a team sergeant. I had a, a couple of different uh, team leaders, and all of them were very cool, because at that time, yeah. I'd had 10 or 11 years in on an ODA back-to-back -back consecutively, yeah. right? And I was like, hey, man, I'm not trying to, you know, rub it in your face, whatever else, but like, I promise you, like, yeah. I, I, I can, I can help us. We can, you know, as a command team, yeah. we can do this together and I will prop you up and I'll make sure that the guys know that you're in charge, but like, you don't have to feel like you got to come yeah. in here and, and pretend like you know it all when you have the least amount of experience yeah. in the room. Right. And so, uh, the good ones usually understand that, right. Sure. The, you, you know, they, they come in and realize like, yeah, I got to put out and I've got to be in charge and all those things, but no one expects me yeah. to have more experience than yeah. Lou when I just came out of the cube. Yeah, and I learned pretty quickly the, the the value you add, the superpower you bring, if anything, is more the planning function mm -hmm. and just running that process, kind of quarterbacking that as opposed to commanding, right? Like in yeah. essence, we train Green Braves to like think and operate independently and lead people, let them do that. Like, so I was happy to be a, a learner slash kind of just operator in that aspect. But when it came to actually planning, I'm just like, look, these guys don't want to do PowerPoint slides. That's not what they are, you know, you know interested in doing. So I would take lead on those functions, one, because you're supposed to, but two, like I made sure that like they could focus on what, Force they, were, multiplier, what right? they were doing yeah, as yeah, operators yeah. and I would lead as a planner. And that's what yeah. we were all on paper supposed to be doing anyway. So yeah. I just said, that's the demarcation line and let's operate that way. No, that's great. You, uh, you mentioned something before when we were having a conversation before we hit record, talking about watching Lou uh, communicate yeah. with different people. And I thought it was really insightful and, and can you, Tell the listeners a little bit as you looked at him as, you know, again, the prototypical Green Beret, the ability to um, to maneuver conversation and communication yeah. to each different person and how that is a really good microcosm yeah. of Green Berets as a whole. Well, Lou in particular had had two skills that I think are incredibly important just in life. One, he knew the right message to communicate, right? And then how to communicate it. One yeah. of the things he would tell me is like, you know, we as a command team, speaking to how he and John Taffer ran things, like we're evaluating teams and how teams operate. And what it was basically telling us is like, we want to see you doing things as a team, as a function that like we were as a team always in the gym together. We were excessively training, going to the range. Like he would randomly pop in to our team room and he would see 11 dudes cleaning weapons together at the end of a, you know, Thursday and other teams would generally be gone. And he would come in and he would just look at me and he would just nod. He was like, you're paying attention, you're listening, right? 
The other thing he was incredibly talented at is, you know, he knew when to put a finger in someone's chest and was getting in somebody's ass and the same way he knew when to put a hand on a shoulder and speak softly. Mm-hmm. And you would see him do that even in staff meetings. Like he would talk to one ODA in a different tone versus another, almost on an individual basis where he knew like, this is what I need to do to get the most out of 0426 or 0425, right? And this is what I need to get the most out of Robinette or this is what I need to do to get the most out of Myers. And I just watched him do that. And I was like, it's almost like you think the same way that like the iconic coaches of the world get the most out of their players or business executives get the most out of their teams. I was like, whatever that is, Lou had it. And I was mm-hmm. like, be more like Lou. Be yeah. more like Lou. No, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the hardest things to do in leadership to realize that the onus of responsibility for good yeah. leadership is not on everyone else to uh, you know, mold to you. Yeah. It's for you to mold the message and yeah. the delivery to each person to get the most out of them. Doesn't matter if it's in you know a business career or you know in the middle of uh, you know middle of Afghanistan, middle of Iraq, right? It's uh, it's one of the hardest things to do. And remember, uh, you know, and, and those that do it well, it does. There's an it factor to it, right? Sure. You see it, and you're like, man, again, be like Lou. Yeah, still to right? this day, I aspire <laughs> to be like Lou. I've yeah. not achieved it, but I do aspire. No, I mean, those are the those are the people that, uh, you know, we are blessed with across the regiment that you can take these amazing lessons from different people and you see them. It's not a it's not a hypothetical. It's not a like, oh, yeah, it's some, it's not a leadership book that you're reading that someone's like, yeah, you should do this. It's like in real time, I'm watching this guy and that's what I want to emulate. Yeah. You know, as you and I were talking earlier, for me, seeing Pat McCauley when he was the SOCOM uh, senior enlisted leader, when I saw him do all calls, whether in and one-on-ones and all these different things. It was like the same thing. I was like, how do I become more like Pat? Yeah. Like in everything I've seen this guy do, I want to emulate. How can I, uh, you know, how can I uh, learn from him and how can I be more like him? Which is always an interesting opportunity. You know, as you, you know, we, we, we talk about a lot, the things that we do well, uh, you, as I said earlier, very, um, very open, and, and have a lot of candor on like, hey, my motivations and, and whatever else. I'm curious, like, what do you remember from that time frame as a failure that you had to show resilience to come back from? Uh, all the time. Like, I feel like I fail really often. And that's like, to me, that's okay. That's growth. Like, yeah. I was like, you fall short on your expectations. And to me, that's like failure. Like, to accept that and live in that space is what, I guess, maybe like the worst thing you can do, but fail early and often, right? Um, one of the things I realized, you know, right out of the gate, our battalion was supposed to go at the end of 2011 into Iraq. And I distinctly remember this day, everybody's training hard. My team in particular is way out front um, in large part because I'm listening to Lou, right? <laughs> um, and John Taft comes out and said, hey, we're standing down. We're not going mm-hmm. to Iraq. So now we've got, a, you know, three companies worth of Green Berets who've been building this, you know, battalion from scratch, you know, right from the team room, training hard, expecting we're gonna you know, get in the fight. And then all of a sudden we're not doing shit, right? And so the answer is like, what are we doing next? Mm-hmm. Almost immediately we start turning to back to Eastern European JSETs. Um, I was guilty very much of being frustrating and letting my guys kind of live in that frustration of like, oh, now we're just doing this stuff that doesn't matter. Mm. We're just doing this other thing. Like that kind of permeated like the organization Yeah, and had I been more mature, I'd be like, look, we're on to the next thing. And this next thing matters, which it does. Yeah. As it turns out, Eastern European like countries matter today. And 
as we've talked about before, like making those long-term investments matter. Mm -hmm. And I was working in Poland and Romania. One, the Romanians were pumping guys in Afghanistan, which was, hey, getting guys trained up to provide relief and make some progress there. And two, we were basically building Poland's special forces like regiment. They were converting this infantry battalion into what would be equivalent of our Green Berets, yeah. which as it turns out matters today, right? And it matters in that part of the world and will continue to matter for years to come. Had I realized kind of the bigger picture, like I would have, I, I should have gotten my guys more focused, more positive, more like goal oriented on those things. Um, because I remember just all of us being like super disappointed. Now, mm -hmm. I know we allowed ourselves to kind of accept the mindset of like, oh, we're never gonna get in a fight. Turns out most of those guys like went to Afghanistan several times so that, as right. that endured yeah. and continued, but you lose sight of that. And so I looked at that as kind of like this lost, you know, months of team time of like, oh man, we're, we're just going to go to the range, but like, what are we training for? Like, what are we doing? We're just going to go to country X, Y, and Z. It does matter as it turns out. Um, but I didn't have enough, you know, visibility or enough sort of maturity to kind of ask questions like, Hey, go to, you know, John Taft or Blue Paul can be like, Hey, What's important about what we're doing next? How do I get my guys ready? How do I, How do I get up? my guys in that fight? And it turns out we ended up doing way more than most other teams during that period. Like I got a lot of mileage and some extra team time because we were so prepared in large part, thanks to my team sergeant. But like we got to go to Poland twice. We got to go to Romania. I went again as an XO. So yeah. I got more time doing Green Beret stuff and my guys got experience. And one of the things as I was rotating out of the battalion, Lupaul was like, this process is what builds Green Berets. Being in Romania builds Green Berets that are ready for Afghanistan, for Iraq. And there will be another turn. There will be another chapter. This is the process. And he's like, you should feel good about having done that with these, these 10 guys. And so I didn't see the value in it early on. I let my guys kind of fester in that. And I fed into that. I, I bought into that sort of frustration early on too. Sure. And I still consider that sort of like the lost months of team time and it was a failure for me not to kind of help set the tone and, and the Spec Ops Tools is a different breed of tool brand. They produce premium, innovative hand tools by leveraging the dynamic strengths of their veteran team and leadership. In addition to staffing vets, Spec Ops gives a part of every sale back to extremely worthy veteran service organizations. Producing elite tools is their business and supporting American service members is their passion. Go check out Spec Ops Tools today. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Prep for Impact, please consider supporting us through joining the 1952 Society from the Green Beret Foundation. With your ongoing monthly recurring donation, you can help the GBF support the ongoing and increasing needs of our Special Forces Regiment. To find out more and take the first step, visit greenberetfoundation.org society. I, no, I completely understand. And, you know, we all have things that we wish we could have taken a mulligan on, right? And that's a very insightful, you know, I had a similar experience towards the end of my career. Uh, you know, I got to seventh group and went uh, back to back four times to combat, yeah. right? Right back to back year, 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 year. And then all of a sudden, C-37, the crisis response force, yeah. the CIF at the time, they were like, hey, uh, Iraq's drying up and we yeah. don't want you guys to go to Afghanistan. We want you guys to go back into the AOR, into Central and South America and do and exercise different muscles yeah. and skill sets that a lot of guys don't have. And that's what I realized. Like, hey, we actually stuff. understand UW more than anybody, which is essentially what 4th Battalion was stood up to do. And it mattered. Yeah, we ended up going to, you know, and I felt some of the same way. Yeah. It was like, no, like we're a war fighting organization. Yeah. We go to war and 
some of those things that we did, you know, I, I felt those same pains of like, all right, man. Yeah. Jay said, great. Okay, cool. It's awesome. But you know, I want to go over because yeah. I see my buddies in Afghanistan or Iraq and it's like, yes, you, we want guys who want to go get in the fight all the time, but we also understand that a ton of what we do um, in those non-kinetic uh, fights are the things that lay the foundation 100%. that are the 100%. secret sauce to green berets. And it, but it's tough as a young, yeah. as a young dude. Yeah. Everybody wants in the fight and everybody thinks that pulling triggers in that yeah. moment is like the only thing going on. And looking back now, yeah. particularly where my reserve career has gone, like I have a much more keen sense of what UW means, particularly using it today than most folks. A hundred percent. Yeah. One of the other things that I think, uh, you know, I just want to call out about that, those kind of last two points uh, that you made is one of the things that I think we lost a little bit was being team focused uh, in, in the global war on terrorism when we were doing rotation after rotation because it was like your whole company's gonna go, yeah. right? And there might be a slight change in like, oh, okay, the commander wants to put this team in this place or whatever yeah. else, but everybody's getting to go to war, yeah. right? As opposed to prior to the GWAT, it was like, hey, we've got one real world mission for our company and I'm choosing that yeah. team that I trust. And, that, and <laughs> I had experience, yeah. a, a very experienced team sergeant, but also I paid attention to what you know, Lou and others were saying. It's like, you're gonna live in an environment where like, it's gonna be one team that does something out of this company be that team and the way we're going to make those decisions and the criteria is like are you training are you a good team like do you have the good you know do you have good dynamics around those things is right? your leadership doing the right thing right. are the guys bought right. in all those things i That's mean right. we we had that happen for us and uh you know i didn't recognize it when i got to seventh group it was still you know seventh group had only done a couple of rotations one or two rotations at the time because it was early in the war and most of the guys in the company were talking about prior to that yeah. And it being like there's one real world mission and a counter drug thing in South America. Right. And you know, we've got to be the team that when that pops up, they know, hey, seven, eight, two can go. And it ended up working out for us in 07 when they needed a team to go to Iraq. They're like, hey, one team's going and we happen to have a, a, a really good, really good leadership, yeah. Kevin Trujillo and Jose Quinones, and we had a good team. We got a chance to the go. The choice and it becomes was, real simple once yeah. you look back on it. You understand yeah. how people have to make those decisions. Yeah, right? and there was there were other great teams. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I was gonna, some of my buddies are going to you know flame me in the uh, in in text messages after this that they were good teams too. But you know the deal. I mean, sure. it is something that now we're returning to where it, there is healthy competition yeah. between ODAs yeah. in a company and in a battalion because you want to be the team that they're like, boom, we'll send them. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's other real important things to take away from that, and other things I'm yeah. I'm generally pretty proud of is. That ODA did more time downrange in a lot of different capacities and mm -hmm. got leadership. You know, if one thing I can say, I made a, a mark in the army with with Christian. We have three guys out of that ODA that made sergeant major. That's awesome. Like, yeah. if I look at it, it's like we put guys on a path to succeed. We must have done something right in building a leadership culture in the image and in the mold of people that you know I certainly admired or I was certainly getting help from. But if anything, we've helped put our fingerprint. You know, and our our you know vision for leadership yeah. and our philosophy on what ODA should be, that continues forward. And so even when Christian and I text back and forth, it's like, look, like there are our legacy, if you will, you know, continues forward in terms of like we shaped the community in a really positive way yeah. out of that ODA. We made the most out of that opportunity, I think, in terms of adopting or changing to that mindset of, hey, like we may not be going to Iraq, but there's things that matter yeah. and let's put guys in a position to succeed. No, it's phenomenal. I, uh, it's funny because we keep having these kind of overlaps to, yeah. to similar experience. We were just at a, uh, from my first team uh, from 782, we were just at a retirement for one of our guys who was a CW3. And we looked around and there's like four of us that were sergeants major. Yeah. There's all these different things. And we're looking back at our team sergeant and like, 
bro, uh, you know, he, you know, you, you set the foundation. Yeah. It's so, it's so critical. The first team that someone comes in, you know, I, I talked about this a lot, uh, you know, on Softcast and then in other places in, in leadership, you know, LPDs and stuff like that first team, what you assimilate to as like, you, you just went through the qualification course. All you want to do is be yeah. a good green beret. Yeah. And that first team is so critical to the ethical, moral, yeah. like work ethic, yeah. everything. Right or wrong, that's huge. still, that experience as an ODA to me is what being an ODA is, right? Exactly. And that may not be what yeah. everyone's experience is, yeah. but it's mine and I don't have any of the real context to yeah. put it in. And so that's what being a green beret means. Yeah. Well, and as a team leader, like that, that is your one shot. Yeah. For me, yeah. I got, I was on multiple teams over the course of over a decade and I still go back to, man, I'm so grateful yeah. that the first team that they put me on was a good team. Right. Right. Still some of my best friends to this day, obviously because of combat and everything else. But the foundation of that, like I would have never been any of the other things that I got a chance to do yeah. if they wouldn't have jerked me up as a young 21 year old, 18 extra. Yeah, yeah. been like, hey, listen, idiot, yeah. like you need yeah. to you need to do X, Y and Z and you need sure. to do it better. And so that is one of those things that, you know, we talk about the you know, we talked a lot when I was at SOCOM about, you know, the we were going so fast during the global war on terrorism that we were losing some of these things. And I think those are the things that we're going to come back to in the regiment. It's like being solid in our UW tasks, being yeah. solid on team work ethic and, and all those things. And I, and I think, you know, the regiment's in good hands. I'm certainly not one of those ones who looks and is like, oh man, all these kids are, are terrible. Anytime I get a chance to visit any of the groups or see any of the leaders coming through the Jasofsky and whatever else I'm, I, you know, to me, it's like, man, they just continue to get better and better and yeah. better, which is amazing. You know, you, <laughs> we joked a little bit about this before hitting record. You have one of the most uh, expansive educational resumes I've ever yeah. met of anybody, yeah. much less as a Green Beret, right? So yeah. you get a bachelor's uh, in business from Michigan, yep. right? You have three masters between yeah. uh, public administration masters from Harvard, an MBA from USC, and then what is it, technology advancement or something like that from yeah. Texas? Tech commercialization from commercialization. Yeah. 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 So tell me how you go from this dude who is trying to be like Lou yeah. to somehow having three master's degrees and working at seed funds and all of these amazing yeah, yeah. things that you've done in the business world. Uh, somewhat by by accident, so not totally by design. Um, but as choices come by, you know, come appear before you, I try to make good choices around it. The first sure. what drove that is like. I just have a personality. I like I like to leave nothing on the table. So I had it was what amounted to four years of veterans benefits for education. I was like, I spend enough time in shitty places. I'm getting all of it. Like not like nothing gets left on. Like the it. VA is paying me everything that's possibly able to collect. Like I'm the guy that's there, and then like waiting in line to see if there's extra. Yeah. Um, so essentially, I ended up getting three master's degrees that are all funded, and that's one of the things I try to tell veterans. I was like, look you've paid your dues. Like whether you've been in Iraq, Afghanistan, the Philippines, Poland, Colombia, I don't give a shit where it is. Like yeah. you've been somewhere, the army has a program to make you better and marketable and give you a new skill set. If you don't use it, you're making terrible choices um, and they're available. So mm -hmm. one, I really leveraged and exercised those programs. Um, in a more mechanical sense, you know, when I left the army, I left the army kind of in a haste um, and not necessarily in a very like, thoughtful or orderly way. I was down at GRTC um, and just kind of the function of being there. I got sent there because coming out of these fourth battalions at the time, they were trying to stand up the Jedberg teams and the Jedberg program. And I was like one of the very first like officer, like 
ASOT guys mm -hmm. and they didn't really know what to do with us and they wanted to build out the, the Office of Special Warfare, wanted to kind of build this out and there was some discussion of whether or not we were going to work for the interagency community. Anyway, we were going to build out like that training pipeline and validation center at at uh, Fort Polk at the uh, um, SOT D. Mm -hmm. um, and being there, like that basically kind of eliminated my uh, timeline to go back to group, just kind of the functionality of it. And I was like, you know, well, I'll do this for a few years and then I'll go to CGSC and then, you know, I'll figure out that timeline essentially sort of got disrupted and like, look, you're going to be here for probably three, four years. And that's how you'll get your KD time. And I was like, I'm not super excited about living in Fort Polk for three to four years. And like, there's, I don't really know what's on the back end of that, but it doesn't seem nearly as attractive. It like being back in the fray, right. Yeah. And the fight. And so I made the decision I was getting out. Um, and at the time I'd been applying to the Downing scholarship program, which would send you to Harvard Kennedy school or, or Princeton, or like you can have a, there's a small list, but they're all really good schools. Mm -hmm. Um, so I applied and I actually got in. Um, and then I decided to get out of the army. So I basically called Harvard. I'm like, you gave me an admissions letter. The army thought I was going to go do this. Um, I want to keep going. Can I still go? I'm, can I still go? I'm <laughs> like, well, we're not in the business of rescinding admissions letters and we probably don't want, you know, that to end up in the front of the you know New York Times about where we're yeah. sending letters from veterans. Yeah. Um, so they let me go. So I went there um, and I thought like, well, I'll go do something and then go right back into government. Like, you know, you know, you know, something in special operations or low intensity conflict, like one yeah. of the DC offices. AS, ASD solo. Yeah, I thought like yeah, yeah. all those, sure. things, all the things were, I was like, look, I'll, I'll do something interesting there. Yeah. Um, I never fell out of love, like with government faster than being at Harvard Kennedy <laughs> School of Government. Um, in the sense that like, I was just watching a lot of the people that were there and kind of like seeing sort of like the bureaucracies of it and like the political nature of it. I was going to say, did you see some people that you know, like they're not in it for the right reasons? I also just saw just like, like, like yeah. that was like the really beginning of what we're seeing now is like the real political divide. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not excited about any of this. Yeah. I also accidentally ran into people that were like, knew the language of business. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like that seems interesting. Um, and we're kind of doing like startups or entrepreneurial stuff. And I was like, that seems like me. I built an ODA from yeah. the ground up. All that seemed interesting. So I was like, I want to go into business. And I did not discover this until very late in the process. Um, so that's how I ended up with my first graduate degree. And I used that initially to kind of get into uh, the business community. I went to Goldman Sachs right out of school. Yeah. And that choice was really, it was a really like deliberate choice in the sense that Goldman Sachs is a strong brand. It has a great training program. You'll never be, you know, at a disadvantage for having that experience on your resume. And that's essentially what I was looking for. It's like, I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. So it's like going through the Q course, right? You get a new qualification, you get a new brand, you get a new identity, and you're gonna get good training and see a lot of things. Also a way to kind of signify like, hey, I'm not doing the public administration thing. I'm, right. It, I'm gonna go to Goldman and potentially go business work. Right, it, yeah. it was a deliberate choice to kind of rebrand myself. Sure. And that's another thing I would tell veterans when they think about stuff, it's like, be very thoughtful and deliberate about your choices. And I made that, I kind of stumbled into that, what I would call the right path. But now that I know it, like I spent a lot of time talking to, to vets and you know people making the transition about like, here's how to do this yeah. better than you know a really disorganized process. Um, so while I was there, I was working in San Francisco, working a lot in venture capital, private equity. I was like, hey, this is really awesome. Like I really started to fall in love with like mm -hmm. startups and the startup ecosystem and venture capital and scaling organizations. and you know, the phrase zero to one, right, Peter Tiff's book. But I really got excited about that stuff and it really matched with my personality and my business interests. Mm -hmm. So I stayed very focused on that. Um, and I left uh, to go to a startup. I worked there for a few years. Um, and 
what I realized I lacked was a lot of like the fundamental, like actual like business acumen. Sure. So like accounting, right? Finance, some of those other things that make you like really, really successful in business Yeah. that would just be helpful to have that I didn't necessarily get it at the Kennedy School. And so I went back and got my executive MBA at, at USC. Um, and I was like, look, very deliberate again. I wanted to own a PL at an organization. I wanted that experience. And I was going to either like start or run my own business or be a yeah. part of like scaling and building others. And I was like, look, you're going to need other foundational blocks to, to really understand, you know, other functions, marketing, accounting, yeah. operations management, um, you know, to the degree that I didn't have finance or I didn't have exposure from that at, at Goldman. I was like, well, the army's going to pay for this or the VA is going to pay for it. I'm going to get this and I'm going to come out with this other tangible skill. The other thing I would say is, you know, be thoughtful about the institutions that you choose. The reason I chose a lot of those institutions in particular is they have alumni networks that are fanatical about being alumni. And yeah. I trade on that a lot, right? Sure. Like if I can find use out of the USC network or the UT or the Harvard network, I do. Relationships like, matter. Even beyond right? the veteran stuff. It's yeah, like, yeah. and you know, I, I still, where I can leverage those relationships or leverage that brand. And so I was just thinking about how can I, how can I catch up kind of sure. starting business yeah, yeah. and business later in life. Those were the kind of the calculus I was running through my head in terms of making some of those choices. No, it's awesome. It's a great perspective. I, I, I am like in the middle of some of the same things, right? Like I, as I came out, I, I decided like, hey, I want to go do something in business outside of the government. I've done 20 years. I, you know, I, let me get, yeah. uh, you know, familiar with something else. And I had the same kind of realization like, okay, I, I don't know PL. I, I yeah. want to, what can I do? And I, you know, I did a quick, like, kind of MBA accelerator program at Tuck, the next yeah. step thing. Yeah. Because I was like, just Those give are me fantastic something, programs. right? Stanford's yeah. Ignite program. Yeah. It gets you oriented to the problem in the universe you're stepping into. To me, I still have in the back of my mind, like, I would potentially yeah. like to go get a, a, an MBA or an executive MBA. And, but I, you know, I talked to my, my current boss, who's a Kellogg MBA and he's like, well, I'm giving you basically the MBA yeah. cause you're working, you know, yeah. for me and I'm going to, you know, so it, there's a, there's a good, uh, there's a good realization of like, okay, what can I get on the job? Yeah. What, what do I need to, you know, kind of seek and in my need, own? You need both or, you, yeah, or essentially you should have yeah. both right? Experience in, in some and, sense, but yeah. if you have nothing, it's a great transition point to get a, a benchmark or a framework. Right. And then you know, knowing that I was going to be in the startup sort of venture capital yeah. ecosystem, I was like, look, University of Texas has this tech commercialization program. That's great. I don't yeah. know if I have, you know, the vision to start my own company. You know, if I have an idea, I wouldn't be afraid of it. Right. But at least if I'm going to work with a bunch of entrepreneurs and founders, I've got a really tight, like strong set of skills and academic yeah. background. And frankly, like a new network of UT people that focus on that. It's like, hey, if we need to help you raise money, I've got people I know we can call. We can connect you to resources. Yeah. Um and then also those things exist for myself in the event that, you know, you want to yeah. want to pull the trigger on something. No, I love it. I, I think, uh, you know, one of the questions I have is, and you touched on it a little bit, you know, sort of looking back at the formation of some of those skills as a Green Beret, uh, you know, I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of, you know, Ken Tovo and I were talking on a previous uh, episode about, yeah. you know, hey, you hand Green Berets these amorphous and wicked problems and they figure it out. And that that lends itself very well to the entrepreneur, the startup yeah. uh, sort of thing, because it's, there's not a like, yeah. hey, this is my job description and this is all I'm going yeah. to do, right? It's like, well, here's a problem and it's nobody's job. Oh, it's my job, yeah. right? And so can you talk me through kind of what you saw as a, uh, you know, foundational skills that you grew and kind of, uh, you know, matured in special forces that then you've seen yeah. in your current roles, uh, yeah. you know, kind of play. My view in terms of like being a Green Beret and certainly 
being around entrepreneurs or working on scaling, you know, early stage companies, like that Venn diagram is a circle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, there's not a lot of things that you yeah. don't have that have a tremendous amount of carryover or like, you know, I talk about the difference between a complicated versus a complex problem, right? A, mm. You know, a complicated yeah, tease that a, out for me. A complicated problem is like if you do enough calculus, you come up to a finite solution, right? Got like yeah. you may have to do a lot of math, you may have to do a lot of science, but yeah. all the ingredients and all the variables can be solved for, and there's a right answer, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes you need that in in certain aspects of business, right? Complex problems have no solution; they are simply managed. With every choice you make, the every variable down the line changes, and you're 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 optimizing for something, but there is no approved solution there's no this is finite this is answer it. yeah green sure. beret mm -hmm. like taught me that that is the that is the environment at all times like it is such mm -hmm. a complicated environment geopolitically people just and think about the places we've been sure like the ethnic and tribal disputes between you know population a and population b and i don't care whether you're talking about iraq, iraq afghanistan anywhere mm -hmm. right like the political interests right like you know, what motivates a certain individual or a certain unit and how, you know, how are they, you know, operating in context with, you know, their chain of command or their government or their national interests. And like you said, and it doesn't always align with yours. You tweak one thing out. and yeah. it, it tweaks seven 100%. other things. 100%. So you're always yeah. thinking about how to manage some of these risks yeah. and these consequences, but there's never a right answer, yeah. right? Like the truth is when you're starting a business or you're building one, your, your goal is to grow that. Right. The right answer is growth, but there's yeah. not, I will do A and then B and then C. And then that gets me to this really perfect solution. And all of a sudden the business is awesome and we can just go, you know, hang out and, you know, grab beers at, at the end of the bar because it's built, it's done. It's yeah. never true. Right. Um, and so I find those things to be really strongly aligned. They're also really strongly aligned with my, my interest. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, that's probably in one way, like why, I became really interested in being a Grimbury kind of through the process right as I was discovering that I was like really interested in being essentially an entrepreneur yeah. slash you know like early stage person in that process because that's kind of what was unfolding in front of me just you know it wasn't a calculated decision sure yeah. but everything since I was like I've done that yeah. that's a startup or hey like yeah. I've been around an organization that doesn't have all the resources it needs to succeed and you have to generate options right or you have to think about how can I leverage other people around me or convince other people that a resource that's finite or limited that they mm -hmm. own that is of benefit to my organization you know basic negotiations yeah, basic interaction sure. with people all that stuff those fundamental skills you know i either learned or honed being a green beret that i've carried forward yeah it's awesome when you look back in hindsight and you're like oh okay yeah that's how it all kind of like that's sure. what drew me to yeah that part of being a green beret and that's what also drew me to then wanting to Outside of that either for me and my for in my first jump i was like okay i really love uh problem solving complex yeah. problem solving all these things but i don't want to uh be a complete startup stage where it's just me yeah. or just me and you in a garage i want something that's like okay we've got a little bit of our shit figured out yeah. but we still got a lot to figure out and there's not you know there's not a manual that you have to go to every single yeah. time be like okay well it says we have to do it this way and so to me it was like a small small to medium-sized business yeah that needed problem solving 
um, but wasn't at such a new phase that it was like, okay, we don't even know where we're going yeah. to do this yet. If right? I can summarize it, like in essentially sort of like one's narrow statement is generally by and large, we're comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sure. Yeah. Like we're comfortable with ambiguity yeah. and everything after that is like, well, like that's just, that's just the, the start point. Yeah. Like that exists no matter what, you know, a yeah. lot of people get paralyzed by that. Mm -hmm. I think just green brace as a whole by growing up in the community and being around the problem sets that we're around and the environments that we operate in, like that's just table stakes. Absolutely. And if you can yeah. successfully navigate that both, you know, interpersonally and in a group dynamic or with teams, it it lends itself well to being in certain aspects or certain types of organizations in business. No, 100%. Yeah, I was looking over my shoulder because there's a Jason Van Camp book back there, Deliberate Discomfort. Yeah, uh, yeah like, Jason's a 10th group guy ahead of yeah. me. Yeah, and it's like, I've read the book too. And yeah, same thing. Yeah, like Masters of Chaos, right? right. Like, and that's, that's, true, that, there, yeah. that's a true <laughs> statement, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, everyone. Life is full of transitions. And one of the toughest transitions for our Special Forces soldiers and their families is the transition from active duty to civilian life. The Green Beret Foundation's Next Ridgeline Transition Support exists to help Green Berets and their families navigate the VA disability claims process and more. For more information, visit greenberetfoundation.org slash transition support. Prep for Impact is proudly brought to you by the Green Beret Foundation. The Green Beret Foundation takes a holistic approach to prioritize the well-being of Green Berets, their families, caregivers, and survivors. Green Beret Foundation's programs focus on nurturing the U.S. Army Special Forces community's mind, body, and spirit. Their five pillars of support work together to empower the Special Forces community to achieve their full potential in service to our country. Living lives of honor, dignity, and purpose. Visit GreenBeretFoundation.org for more information. I'm curious, you know, we talked a lot about the alignment between some of the skills and, and those foundational things. What about juxtaposition wise? What do you what do you look back now with your experience, you know, big four firm, everything else, all of these different educational uh, pursuits? What do you look back and say, you know, I wish I, I wish SF did this a little bit more like how we do it in the business world and vice versa? What do you wish like, man, I wish I could snap my fingers and get this thing from SF to come into business? I don't know how I, I've, I've thought about this a lot. Um, and even my current reserve job, I report into SWIC. Yeah. Um, and I've always said, like, I wish we had a better mechanism to get true, like, MBA sort of core functional, like, business skills yeah. into Green Berets in terms of, like, organizational design and, mm -hmm. like, thinking about more like that process and how business operates, kind of like I, the accounting is the language of business. Not that I'm suggesting that Green Berets should right. become accountants, but there's a lot of, like, running an organization at various levels and scale that I think the Green Bray community would generally benefit from, mm -hmm. which is why like the minute I was sitting in an MBA classroom, I was like, I get this. Like now I know how to turn what I know how to do into a profit organization and vice versa, right? Like, you know, whether it's training industry for periods of time or like executive education type programs, like I just think there's an opportunity for like bringing in people who solve complex problems in business yeah. can really help us kind of think through some of the things, particularly when you like supply chain logistics and some of those yeah. other things that we like have to struggle with. And I say that's more true now than ever when we think about kind of the modern digital world, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we think about, like there was no module when I went through the Q course around cyber. Yeah. And that's a real thing when you think about what our adversaries Vulnerability, are Vulnerability, yeah. 100%. Yeah. When you think of like, you know, the information domain, right? You know, the dime operator, like, 
we don't get a lot of experience as young leaders, either on the NCO or officer side in and around that. And that's what the world's going to be in the, you know, in the century to come. Yeah. And I don't know, there are smart people I'm sure thinking about it and I don't want to suggest that they're not, but like, I think there's a lot of like multifunctional cross-functional leadership that happens in business that we could certainly absorb into Green Berets and Green Berets, particularly our leadership and in yeah. galvanizing teams and organizations that I have found have been invaluable in virtually every you know, private sector employer I've ever been in. People often joke, like, you may not know much about the technical stuff, but boy, you have a lot of leadership experience. You can manage people well. And yeah. I was like, well, like, there's probably an area to, to marry some of those two things up. And I say that in context of where I think the world's going in terms of what our adversaries are doing. A lot of that's happening in the digital realm, right? Yeah. A lot of that's happening in, you know, in cyberspace, cyber attacks, right? Like, those things are going to matter, and they're going to matter with people we partner with, and they're going to shape the environments we operate in. And you know, at least from my vantage point, like it's a it's an area where we need to improve. And I think the business sector does, you know, a lot of that stuff well. And we could benefit from from some of that well, shared knowledge. A lot of times they've had more experience in it, and they they realize that uh, you know downtime in a business is a death sentence, right? And so yeah, creating yeah. Uh, you know creating barriers to any of uh, those yeah. you know that that risk management to make sure that we aren't. We don't have an open flank that if uh, you know we get attacked, yeah. our business is down, and yeah. you know there's only a couple of couple of days we can be down before it's catastrophic yeah. to the entire thing. You know, if not a couple of hours, um, you know, that all of what you said is is really one of my primary motivations from having this podcast. Right? Yeah. It's just like as I've been able to, you know, I was I was blessed to come up here to SoCom and and widen my sort of uh, access to different people in the business realm here in Tampa across yeah. different tribes of special operations. And, and to me, it was like, man, there are so much interoperability between sports and nonprofit yeah. and business and everything else, which is one of the reasons like this show, I want to be able to widen out and talk to people. Like yeah. there are there are Green Berets that have yeah. business experience like you, but there are also people that never have yeah. touched a rifle yeah. that have something that we can learn and, from 100%. And I think the, the fundamental sort of like underlying theme for us, and it's true for the winners in business, the mm. winners in business are the people that, focused on results, not effort. Mm. Like it doesn't matter how much effort you put into something. It matters on the result. We don't think any other way as Green Berets, which is why I think our type of background and our community tends to be successful in business started when they figure out kind of where, where <laughs> and how, yeah. right. And, and get some, some upskilling on some of the technical stuff. Because like we don't show up to the morning team room. It's like, well, like let's figure out, you know, maybe what we want to do. Like it's very let's focused. Let's try on like, hard. Yeah. Right. Like, nobody cares how many hours you spent on the flat range. Right. They care whether you're trained at yeah. a level that you makes you effective, you know, yeah, well downrange. Said. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's what you're really getting evaluated on. Yeah, hundred percent. I, uh, you know, we're kind of running out, run out of our, you know end of our time here. I'm curious. You know, you've had access, as you said, to so many different. Um, alumni networks yep. uh, in so many different pockets of the world. And one of the things, you know, y y that you've chosen to give your time and effort towards is nonprofit work, but specifically with the Green Beret Foundation, right? And I, you, know, you and I talked a little bit before we started rolling about, you know, one of the things as I was looking to, you know, do my transition and I thought, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. Uh, there were other people that had kind of asked me about it. And I, you know, I just, I didn't feel like it was uh, as, as well aligned until, GBF came by yeah. and I was like, oh, that that to me makes a lot of sense. How did you get involved with Green Beret Foundation and what have you found since you've been involved yeah. uh, that's you know kept you kept you going? Uh, well, 
I joke about this inside the, the organization, and I truly believe this about myself. The only thing that makes me interesting to talk to is that I was a Green Beret because nothing I've done outside of that I think is particularly interesting or, or noteworthy. But um, so it's a big part of my identity. I think it's a big part of all of our identities, right? Like, you know, I still am a reservist. I still go try to contribute to the community. One, you know, in my DNA, I just have, you know, a feeling it's important to continue to find ways to give back. Sure. Um, uh, Kevin Flyke, who was a board member prior, uh, he and I were grad school classmates. And he's like, look, like this organization really needs to grow. And he and I both have kind of like a startup, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. startup interest. In fact, he's at a startup now. I was like, look, like that's what this organization is. And it needs people that are thinking about scale and growth. Um, and then what I really like about where we're at now is like I said, we've got new leadership, you know, Charlie's on board doing great things. And like, we now have a, a real ability to kind of act on the vision of where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is like, it's essentially, it's, it's a, it's a clean slate. Like we can really build against the programs and services that we think are most impactful. Yeah. You know, the way I view it is like, we should build again, all these themes, right? There's a bunch of organizations that do things really well. You know, VA might give you a certain set of benefits and care, you know, other organizations, you know, might be really good at helping you transition and find a job others, you know, right. But like, there's no limits on what we can do. Mm-hmm. We don't have to ask permission if we want to set up a, a you know a wellness program that has alternative treatments or alternative therapies. If it works, it works. Yeah. And we don't have to apologize for it, right? So building and scaling organizations interesting to me. I have some of that background. Hopefully I can help lend that type of thing to the organization. I feel it's rewarding to to do that for mm-hmm. sure. Um and then the ability is like, look, like we can help, you know, not just, you know, the 9-11 generation we've expanded to, you know, the, the Green Beret community, you know, far reaching, you know, you know, from the Vietnam and beyond, but it's like, now we can build something that's going to serve Green Berets 20 years from now. Yeah. And what those problems should look like, you know, or what the solutions look like to those problems rather, right? Like that to me is like, well, that's a startup, like that's entrepreneurial. And so it allows me to kind of exercise things I'm already interested in. And, and hopefully it's valuable to the org because the community means a lot to me. And like I said, it's, it's the only thing that makes me interesting to talk to. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate it. Like to me, you know, the Greenberry Foundation, there there are a lot of great nonprofits, some specifically focused on special forces, some special operations, yeah. some military, some just, you know, United Way. There's yeah. all kinds of good people doing all kinds of great things, right? But the Greenberry Foundation specifically, like it represents us, right? We uh, you know, we identify, you know, we talk about being Green Berets, yeah. we talk about uh, our time as Green Berets, all these things. And so leading from the front with an organization that is focused on that. You know, I, uh, I mentioned earlier, we had another episode where I was talking to Ken Tovo and he was talking about that expansion yeah. into not just the GWAT Green Berets, but, ex- but across everything. And, you know, to me, that's such a, um, an impactful thing. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I mentioned on that episode, like it would feel weird to me if like I was able to tap into something from the Green yeah. Beret Foundation that a, a Vietnam vet that influenced my, my yeah. joining wasn't able to tap into. But we know that with that, comes some financial uh, yeah, yeah. like that's a huge expansion right and so you know as we you know you'll hear some ads if you're listening to this podcast now you've heard ads throughout this like we want to do everything we can for the green beret foundation with the green beret foundation but it does come at needing some resources yeah. to be able to expand you know we are just starting to see the tip of the iceberg of some of the effects yeah. from the global war on terrorism. Yeah, hundred percent. Much yeah. less catching up to some yeah. of these things from Vietnam and the Cold War and everything yeah. the, else. It's crazy. Yeah, the idea is, you know, we really want to build an organization that can truly, I mean, at its very core, serve the past, present, and future. And future is very much in that equation for us, right? We want to yeah. develop an organization that solves 
even the unknown problems. And we need to build an organization A that can do that and is resourced, you know, to achieve those ends. You know, some of that's financial, some of that's staffing, some of that's building the right programs. But, you know, we're focused on on doing that stuff at, at GBF. And I think we've got the, again, the right leadership team uh, in place and we're excited to build yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And and Chris, man, thanks for coming out here, man. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It's cool because, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Um, there's so much that can be learned across from soft community to business and whatever else. And you're you're one of the people that has that fusion that has seen both sides of it at a very high level. So I appreciate you coming in. I also, uh, you know, again, personally, I appreciate your candor. Like so many people are, are afraid to be honest about like, Hey, you know, I just, I wasn't very good at this or, or I had trouble in the Q course. You'll very, you'll find very few people who will say, yeah, actually, uh, the Q course is kind of tough. Everybody's like, no, you know, I went through it. It's fine. You know, whatever. Well, right? somebody listening is going to know that yeah. about me anyway. right? <laughs> That's like, true. Truth is like, I'm not trying to misrepresent myself, but frankly, it's, it's the reality. It's, it's who I am and I embrace it. But that honesty is what, yeah. It, what uh it, it builds trust right relationships sure. matter yeah. and when you're honest and, and you uh, you know it's easier to build trust so again thanks on behalf of all of us you know on behalf of me personally thanks for coming out here and thanks for joining us and thanks, uh, it's been a good time hey and thank you to all you out there listening or watching on youtube however you're getting it thanks for being on the ground floor of this uh we've really enjoyed bringing prep for impact for uh to you uh if you're listening on youtube or excuse me if you're watching on youtube uh give us a like uh, subscribe, hit the little bell so that you get notified whenever we post a new one, send it to somebody. Uh, there's a share button right there that you can push it to. Uh, if you're listening on Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever Google podcasts, there's a thousand of them on any of them, subscribe, rate the show. And again, if you comment on social media and things like that, it really does help other people find it as well as you sending, uh, sending a link to somebody who you think, uh, could benefit from it as well. Want to give a shout out uh, to the Green Brave Foundation that we talked about on this episode. I know you heard a few of the little plugs throughout this episode. I really want to encourage you check out the 1952 Society, check out GreenBeretFoundation.org, check them out on social media as well. And I want to say thank you to Spec Ops Tools, who's uh, our presenting sponsor for these episodes. You can check them out on Instagram, Spec Ops Tools. You can check them out again, SpecOpsTools.com. Uh, and we thank you for listening to another episode of Prep for Impact. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Prep for Impact. Just as a reminder, everything you heard on this episode and every episode of Prep for Impact are just the opinions of the speakers, whether that's the host or the guest, and they're not the official position of either the Green Beret Foundation, their employers, the Department of Defense, or anyone else. And with that disclaimer in mind, I want to take a quick second to give you my opinion on the best way to prep for impact. Across my life, whether it was as a Green Beret or personally, I found no more secret weapon than to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my Savior, and to walk His path rather than mine. And so if you're curious about that, or if you ever want to talk, my DMs are always open. Thanks for listening to Prep for Impact.